Gary Parrish, it's uh, Wednesday, January 11th. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me, and it was uh, an interesting Tuesday night of college basketball. We had three top 15 matchups, right? So on the schedule, it looked great. And then the games started, and they were all lopsided blowouts. West Virginia destroyed Baylor. Florida State destroyed Duke. Villanova destroyed Xavier. Norlander, uh, of those three top 15 matchups, uh, which, if any, was the biggest surprise to you? Oh, uh, man. Um, I think Baylor going down as significantly as it did was probably the biggest surprise. Now, I thought Baylor would lose, thought Duke would lose, and thought Xavier would lose. Um, those were all three underdogs as it was. West Virginia, and I'm in the process of writing something that People listening to this podcast at this moment, you can probably check out at cbsports.com or if you uh, bring up the app on your phone and whatnot, it'll probably be live by the time you get to it. But uh, West Virginia being able to do what it does best, turn Baylor over, I believe, 29 times, which was the most turnovers for a game for Baylor since 99. It was really impressive. And what I thought, GP, was in, in the way that West Virginia won – and if you want to get to Baylor real quick, we can too. But the way that West Virginia won in the style that it did, a, a national TV game against the number one ranked team in the country, and the way that Florida State, although that game was not on national TV, you had to watch it on, on your computer if you had a, the portal to ESPN3 or if you lived locally in the area. But the way that Florida State so definitively beat Duke, my kind of broad takeaway from the night was those are two teams that have had really good seasons so far. We've talked about them here and there on the podcast, certainly West Virginia more than Florida State, but they get wins over highly ranked teams in big spots. Granted, they were both at home, but to me, it, it further legitimized both teams. And I know that you hit on Florida State um, specifically uh, as, a, as a potential Final Four threat last week in a column that you wrote. But now, even more so, when you get the, when you get the Duke win, which isn't as impressive, by the way, as winning at Virginia, which no. Florida State's already done. But still, like you get that win, Florida State's in the midst of playing six ranked teams in a row. They're three and zero against those against those first three teams: Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Duke. So, with both of those victories, to me, it just established, hey, you know, on a year in year out basis, we don't expect West Virginia and Florida State to be top ten quality. But those wins last night went a long way to really establishing that fact, uh, especially for here in January. They're becoming very interesting stories. No question. And uh, you know, big night for Florida State, big night for West Virginia. Uh, oddly, Temple beat both of those teams back in November, um, <laughs> which is just like, what? How did, you know, you look back. Even in the moment, you looked at that and went, how did that happen? But like, certainly looking back on it, it, it makes even – uh, less sense. Yeah, Florida State, look at these last three games. You go to Virginia and win. Like, who else is going to do that this year? Um, you West Virginia. Uh, well, West Virginia. West Virginia already has, right. But, like, it's reasonable to say no, like, nobody else might do that the rest of the season, right? right. Um, then you hammer the Virginia Tech team that hammered Duke, and then you hammer Duke. And so, the, the of the top 15 matchups last night, the three teams that I thought would win them all won them. And I was taking the home teams in, in every one, Villanova, 
of Florida State and and West Virginia. Um, but I didn't think I didn't expect them to be as lopsided as they were, especially the Florida State Duke game because that was. I think at tip-off, maybe Florida State was a two-point favorite. I mean, it was basically a coin flip game, and, uh, you know, they beat them badly. And then you know, I wasn't that surprised with what happened to Baylor. I didn't expect them to lose by that significant of a margin. But I, I, if you'd have told me beforehand they're going to lose by double digits, you know, like, I, like we talked about Monday, everybody, literally everybody in the country would be an underdog at West Virginia at this moment. And you get into that building with that number one – beside your name and they're just making you incredibly uncomfortable with the style of play you start doing things uh uncharacteristically of of the season to date like i i wasn't shocked that that one could get away from them the way it got away from them but but duke getting overwhelmed was a little surprising to me and and you know xavier just you know not showing up at all also a little surprising to me, although if you start really closely examining Xavier's resume to date, there's not much there. You know, they were a preseason top 10 team. And so, and they, and they, you know, they're, they're 13 and three. So they're still ranked and they should be ranked. I mean, that's the top 25 team, but they're, you know, one and two, I think against ranked opponents at this point, you know, they beat Clemson early on a neutral, but they got blown out by Baylor and then they get blown out by Villanova. The other loss is a Colorado loss. And they don't have any other top 40 wins outside of the Clemson win. Like, that team hasn't been very good this year for, for whatever reason. Now, they're just getting Miles Davis back, and perhaps that'll be uh, something that makes them look a little more like they looked like last season. But, you know, they returned a lot of great pieces from a really good team, but this team hasn't been a really good team this year. I think the Miles Davis... Uh inclusion will change Xavier for the better in what they can do and what Mac can throw out there because I think Davis is a is a good piece in terms of opening up Xavier's offense giving them a little more of a dynamic quality now it was his first game back uh, from what was essentially you know uh, a half season suspension and he had issues with an ex-girlfriend and and Mac sat him down for you know many many months there a, a tr- an indefinite suspension that by the way lasted a whole hell of a long time um xavier fans know this right now they're in the midst of their toughest three game stretch of the entire season uh until they would get to you know big east tournament play because they're they're at they lost to villanova and they never play well at villanova since they've gotten to the big east they've had issues then they go to butler on saturday and then they get creighton but that game is in cincinnati at home but still those are the three toughest teams in the league and Xavier gets them back to back to back. If they beat Butler, they'll probably still remain ranked, and I think that would be fair. If they lose, which they'll be an underdog, so they'll be expected to lose, they'll fall out of the rankings. I, I still, and I've, I know I've said this on the podcast, I still believe that Xavier can be a top 20 team. I won't sell on them just yet. Now, if they don't get out of this three-game stretch of the win, it will be problematic, and they, you know, if that happens, if they lose to Butler Saturday, lose to Creighton on Monday night, that's January 16th, you know, Jerry Palm's next projected bracket after that could very easily have Xavier as a Dayton team at that point. If that, um, we'd have to look at the rest of the field because the Clemson wins the only uh, real one that stands out to this point. So we'll see. Circle back real quick, GP, on, on Duke. They didn't have Jefferson. That was, I wrote sure. about it, that was, that was so 
glaring. Uh, Giles did not have a good game, and I thought that he would actually play decently. I didn't think he'd, he'd show up and just, you know, stud out. But he did not have a good game. He was only on the floor for 10 minutes. He's still not there all the way with conditioning. He looked really nice against Boston College. You know, I watched the tape. Granted, it's Boston College and Duke was at home. I get that. But I still saw good signs of development. Nothing like that at all last night. He is not fully – I don't just I just don't think he is fully in condition. Florida State has a bunch of dudes, and they, are, they were at home ready to go. Isaac looked terrific. So Duke needs Jefferson back as soon as possible, specifically because of what he does and how good and reliable he is defensively. So we don't know for sure um, if he's going to be available. Duke's going to probably need him because they've got a road game at Louisville this weekend. No Jefferson there. I mean, I wrote basically if they don't have Jefferson for that game, um, they'll probably need Tatum, Kennard, and Grayson Allen to, to all have really, really good shooting nights in order to steal one on the road there. So we'll see. But, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, the Xavier one, I, I thought they'd get beat badly because Villanova always plays them well at home. Let's just wait a little bit longer here to see how they adjust with Miles Davis. Well, one point where I would disagree with you is that, you know, I, I don't think Xavier has got to win at Villanova or Butler to prove it's a top 25 team. In other words, I won't drop. No, I'm saying yeah. they'll fall out, though. If they lose both those games. Well, that's, be- well then that's, that'll be the Politex column for Monday because that's stupid. Okay. You, you, you shouldn't have to win at you, – you shouldn't have to beat a top 10 team on the road to prove you're worthy of a top 25 ranking. Like that that that, that, that logically falls apart pretty quickly. Like uh, whoever if – you, if you want to rank 25 teams, whoever you've got 25th instead of Xavier, you know, for – the sake of the conversation would also be expected to go lose at Villanova and to lose at Butler. I, I, I granted like getting run off the court, both places is not a good look. Um, but I will, unless they just lose by 30, uh, like I'll probably still have Xavier ranked, uh, in the top 25 and one, even if they lose this weekend at Butler, but uh, to the larger point we're both making, uh, through 16 games, they, they haven't accomplished much and they haven't looked good. It's not just that, they don't have a, a you know quality wins outside of uh, a neutral court win over Clemson that was basically two months ago. Uh, the computers don't like them either. They're not good in Sagarin. They're not top twenty in the Sagarin ratings. They're not top twenty at Ken Palm. Um, they, they you know it, it's it's a it's a nice record just if you just look at the numbers thirteen and three on January eleventh. But when you look at the substance and actually how they've played. Uh, there's there's just not much there. I moved Villanova back to number one in the top twenty five and one. You on board with that? I am, um, because right now the you know Baylor was Baylor was the number one. It has a loss now. Villanova has just a loss, and Villanova's loss is better than Baylor's because I know that West Virginia would rate and does rate as a better team than Butler right now. But if you watch both of those games and you look at the totality of both teams' resumes. I think Villanova has the case to slide back to number one. Got a tremendous road win against Purdue. Have a really good win against uh, Notre Dame team. Beat Creighton on the road. You know, winning against Xavier. To me, Villanova at one makes sense. I still think if you really wanted to make the case for Baylor, that that's totally allowable right now in the here and now. Baylor will have... See, and I wrote about this too, GP. If anyone wants to call Baylor fraudulent then you're fraudulent because we've gone over plenty of what they've done this season and with their record and all that and just because they get you know steamrolled at West Virginia 
doesn't mean that they're not, you know, a top 10 team. Because I still think that right now, just not just in terms of resume, I think right now Baylor is a top 10 team with their personnel and the way they play. But, but what will be interesting here is how the discussion changes around Baylor if they lose at Kansas State. That's a, that's a road game they have coming up on Saturday. So if Baylor were to get the number one ranking, turn around, drop two in a row, albeit with two road games, would wonder how many people would really just kind of shove off Baylor and disregard them um, the next three or four weeks. Fair or not, I do think because there's still some laziness uh, regarding the conversations around Scott Drew and Baylor, I think there might be a dismissive tone of that team. I think it would help um, them a, a great deal if they could bounce back and win at Kansas State. Um, just for the sake of their credibility, whether you know that discussion is legitimate or not, if they lose that, people are gonna say, "Oh, they got the number one." What they do, even though they did plenty, they start you know Big Twelve play three and two. People might just uh, be a little foolish in disregarding it. No, you're exactly right. People are preconditioned to be dismissive of Baylor anyway. So if you give them a reason, and the reason would be becoming number one in the country and then getting run off the court at West Virginia and then losing at Kansas State in the same week. Um, well, then, yeah, uh, the casual college basketball fan um, slash uninformed college basketball fan is going to, to pounce uh, on that. For, as far as Villanova number one, uh, here's the way I would rationalize it. Because at this point, Kansas would probably move to number one in uh, the AP poll on, on Monday because, you know, if Kansas wins, because Kansas is, is uh, right now ranked number two and they're obviously on a long winning streak. They their only loss is that season opening loss in overtime to Indiana. But here's how I would I would argue in favor of Villanova: six top fifty Ken Palm wins. Um, you know that's UCLA only has four, Kansas only has four, Kentucky only has two, Gonzaga only has three, Baylor also has six. But you know Villanova's lone loss, single digit loss at a top ten team, Butler. Baylor's lone loss, blowout loss at a top ten team, West Virginia. In other words, I, I think Villanova's got a better loss, um, if only because it was competitive. You know, Kentucky's got a, a loss at home. Um, uh, UCLA's got a loss on the road at the buzzer, but it's still a loss on the road at, at the buzzer. And they don't have as many good wins, quality wins, as Villanova has. And then as far as Kansas, like, to me it's pretty simple. You know, yeah, I, I think Kansas is unbelievable. Like, if you want to pick them to win a national championship, that's fine with me. But in terms of the resume, Villanova's got better wins. Again, six top 50 Kempon wins. Kansas only has four. And the loss is better. You know, it's a single-digit loss at Butler as opposed to a neutral court loss to an Indiana team that looked good in the moment but doesn't look good anymore. Lost again to Maryland last night. I mean, yeah. And I thought Indiana was going to win. Problematic here. I mean, this was, GP, this was the team you had two weeks ago winning the Big Ten. That's beyond off the table at this point. 11 and 6 and I don't know if this is a rut. Uh, I'll be honest, I was I was on duty for three other games so I didn't see hardly any of the game. You were in studio. Were you able to get some eyes on it on a monitor there? I mean, do you can you tell us much of what happened? I mean, this is it's not a bad loss. It like three points on the road against Maryland which has, you know, put up a nice record so far, but Damn. I mean, fortunately for Indiana, now they get Rutgers at home at Penn State, certainly winnable. Michigan State in Bloomington. I mean, you got to bounce back and get to get to three and three, four and three in that in that instance if you're Indiana, because the fans get frustrated and restless in a hurry. 
and I don't think this will turn on Tom Crean, but it, it's it's gotten way more urgent than I ever thought that it would. And it all starts like here's the thing: if you beat if you simply beat Nebraska at home on December 28th, mm-hmm. like, and you take the Louisville loss, okay, you lose to Wisconsin, yeah, it hurts, but Wisconsin's really good, might win the Big Ten. You lose an understandable road game in Maryland. To me, it's it's a different situation. Like we might not even be talking really about Indiana on the podcast right now, but just simply that one loss there, and you're just way behind it in the Big Ten, and who knows if you can catch up and even you know be in contention for third place. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I saw most of the Indiana Maryland game. The truth is, Indiana was favored at tip. Um, it, not only did you think they were uh, going to win, uh, they were projected to win by odds makers and. Um, I mean, they, they, they were in the game, the whole game. They were leading in the second half, and then Maryland just did what Maryland tends to do, which is somehow figure out a way to win a, a close game. The, uh, the obvious exception to that this season being the loss uh, to Nebraska a couple Sundays ago. But, um, again, not a terrible loss, but it's just another loss. That's the problem for Indiana. There's nothing bad about losing at Maryland. Like, legitimate top 25 teams can lose at Maryland. Um, but, you know, when you've already taken the losses that you've taken, um, when you when you enter the building one and two in the Big Ten and exit it one and three in the Big Ten, when some people thought that you were going to win the Big Ten for the second straight season, like that's a problem. And Thomas Bryant wasn't very good. Um, you know, he was he was uh, two of eight from the field, finished with six points, and then OG Ananobi, who was uh, had a who was uh, was really good early in the season, um, is a legitimate NBA prospect and had an unbelievable dunk in the final minutes. Uh, also not very good, two of nine from the field. So when your best two players, or at the very least, your two most talented players, because like James Blackman might, I don't want to get into that debate about who's the best players at Indiana, but when your two most talented players, your two NBA players, uh, go, I guess it was four of 17 from the field, well, you're going to have a hard time winning on the road. And that's what Thomas Bryant and OG did last night. They went four of 17 from the field. And so uh, Maryland gets out of there. 75-72. Uh, um, let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process uh, for a long, long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or for that concert or for that show that you want to attend. And none of the older ticket sites have seemed anxious to fix that. But SeatGeek is fixing that. They've created an amazing app and a website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets for you to buy and sell tickets. It's always the first place I go when I'm trying to get tickets for a game or for a concert. It's the place Matt Norlander goes. It's the place you ought to go because SeatGeek, they do all the work for you. They uh, handle the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites, and that ensures you're going to get the best possible deal. Uh, You're going to save time, and you're going to save money. Download that app. Uh, the SeatGeek app. And when you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, you're going to get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. So get on that. Like I said, download the SeatGeek app, purchase your tickets, use the promo code COLLEGEBB, and then SeatGeek is going to send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, that's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place it would not be an ion college basketball podcast if we did not focus on grayson allen doing something that people are talking about on social media so let's discuss grayson allen doing something in a game last night that people are discussing on social media you've seen the play at this point is it a deal or is it something that people are just making into a deal unfairly 
I'm going to be pretty emphatic here. This is not a deal. This is caving to the worst instincts of clickbait. Uh, it reached a point where, and by the way, as far as I can tell, it was a dude named Caleb Smith tweeting out a video tagging SportsCenter, Bleacher Report, and a couple other people. That then turning into um, a case where, you know, a few people latch onto it, respond to it on Twitter, share it on Twitter. It's obviously flammable. If you haven't seen the video, to me it's not much. It's Grayson Allen making a play, going out of bounds, diving for a ball. And in slow motion on the video that was shared on Twitter, you get this Zapruder-like blurry image of Allen, you know, pushing out his arms as he's making contact with an unidentifiable Florida State coach who has since come out and felt compelled to defend Grayson Allen by way of uh, on Twitter he posted you know a note that he screen grabbed and all that stuff um, as of the recording of this podcast we have not published anything on cbsports.com about it well that's going to change because we've already got a note from our editor there we go so <laughs> and I don't have that note up in front of me that will since change um, to me it's not a thing but now it's clearly catching enough momentum where it is a thing. This just goes to anything and everything Grayson Allen does is just scrutinized, replayed, discussed. I don't think it's anything, but clearly, you know, we have just reached a point that any bodily contact that's not a completely 100% natural college basketball play is going to be reviewed, shared on Twitter, vined out, videoed out. It's it's getting a little exhausting, but yeah, I guess here we are. Yeah, I mean, listen, I saw it last night and saw it on social media, and I even had friends text message me about it. I had a coach text message me about it, like, what is Grayson Allen doing? And I'm just like, I, I, like, I see the same things you see. You know, like his arm does make a weird movement, and it sort of looks like a shove, but... I mean, we really going to do this every game? The answer, of course, is yes. We are really going to do this every game that Grayson Allen plays. Um, all of his extremities are under a microscope. And if they do anything that even looks unusual, doesn't even have to actually be unusual, just has to somewhat look unusual in super slow-mo, um, it's going to become a, a national story. And uh, like I wrote over the weekend and said again on Monday, uh, on this podcast, he created this. This is his fault. This is self-inflicted. Uh, but is it a little ridiculous? Yes, it feels like it's a little ridiculous. And um, I, I did think it was interesting and and worth noting that Dennis Gates, the Florida State assistant, uh, did this morning publicly defend Grayson Allen and basically said, "Hey, like back off." Like I and I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially the message that the Florida State assistant sent was. Um, I'm not going to defend the tripping stuff from a few weeks back or even from last season. But what happened last night's crazy. He didn't do anything. He was hustling. And, you know, our, our lower bodies, you know, the truth is, if it's somebody's fault, it's probably my fault. I should have probably moved a little more quickly and got out of the way. Um, our lower bodies collided. Um, he, the, the hand thing's just a, a it just it's nothing. Like, I'm the one on the receiving end of this. I know if the kid was taking a cheap shot at me or not. He wasn't. So, like, let it die. And so I thought it was, like, uh, A, just good of him to do that. Uh, But, B, uh, also interesting on a very basic level. Like, no matter what you think it looks like 
or no matter what our editor thinks it looks like, or no matter um, what the person who initially posted thinks it looks like in super slow-mo, like the guy who was on the receiving end of it uh, says it's nothing. Says it, 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 well, however it looks, it's not. If you think that looks dirty, it's, it's not. And then beyond all that, you just have to use common sense. Why in the world would Grayson Allen try to shove a Florida State assistant coach? This doesn't make any sense. I, I'm not saying his arm didn't make what appears to be an unusual movement in super slow motion, but the idea that he was out there taking cheap shots at a random Florida State assistant in the in the you know in real time in a fast paced basketball game just it, it just defies logic. But it's a fun thing to talk about, I guess. Uh, it's it's amazing what this is turning into, and. This like I saw it last night, and I thought, man, that's not anything. Don't I hope this doesn't become something because that's nothing to me. That is nothing because specifically because the game wasn't on. And listen, I I'll be honest, I've not had television on this morning, so I'm sure in real time this has been on Sports Center and not in slow mo. I've only seen the slow motion. Okay, so it's so hard for me to discern in slow motion that this is what Allen was doing, um, and the coach. Gates felt compelled to defend Allen. Really, to me, a lot of this becoming a story was Gates making the public statement. Like, there wasn't some crusade for a Florida State assistant coach to come out with a statement about Grayson Allen making contact with him as he was falling out of bounds. So I think his response does make it more of a legitimate story, if you want to call it that. But damn, man, like... I got no problem going all in on Allen and Krzyzewski and Duke and all that stuff if he continues to exhibit, you know, petty and unwarranted behavior on the floor. Uh, this is not that, I don't think, but we're off and running. This is probably going to now become the story of the day in college basketball, unfortunately. And we have, like, you know, Butler at Creighton's a really good game on Wednesday night to look forward to. Iowa State's got an interesting one at Oklahoma State. People don't care about that. They no. want to look at Grayson Allen. No. They want to put him in jail. This is the thing. <laughs> it's, it is the thing. I believe we have talked about Grayson Allen uh, on this podcast uh, you know, probably for like three straight weeks. And like for good reason because it is, it is what we should be talking about given that uh, the goal should always be to, to, to discuss things that other people are discussing or that people want to hear about it. But was it uh, – I, I would prefer to just get back to reminiscing about Devin Downey's greatest game. Shout out to Devin Downey. Shout out to Devin freaking Downey. That's right, that's right my man. Um, yeah, man, I got no problem making a short one. I mean, is there anything else that you want to hit on here? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Butler at Creighton's interesting. Uh, so that's the game to watch on Wednesday night if you're unaware. It's a 9 o'clock tip. Um, and then before we talk again on Friday, Thursday, uh, Notre Dame-Miami. Yeah. SMU Cincinnati is actually a rare, really important American athletic conference game. Mm -hmm. So those are the two best teams in that league. And, and like uh, they look, look to clearly be the two best teams in that league. Like yeah. there's yeah, like there's a gap between like you can put Cincinnati SMU in whatever order you want, but there's a gap after that. Without a doubt. So that's uh, to me the game that I'm most interested for Thursday night. Um, so you know whatever happens in the next couple of days, Duke doesn't play again, so we shouldn't have to talk about Grayson Allen on Friday's podcast. Yeah, well, but, hey, hey. Don't don't bet on that. I, I, you know what? I won't. I, I, I certainly I wouldn't dare. <laughs> Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Thank you for listening. We're going to talk to you again on Friday. Till then, take care. <laughs>